Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We have all heard of the anthrax scare. I vividly remember being a scared 10 or 11, maybe 12-year-old, watching news anchors talking about this mysterious mail-delivered package of death. The 2001 anthrax attacks, also known as Amerithrax, which I learned from a quick Google search, occurred in the United States over the course of several weeks beginning on September 18, 2001, so only one week after America was turned upside down by the attack of September 11th. Letters containing anthrax spores were mailed to several news media offices and to two different senators. These letters were responsible for killing five people and infecting 17 others. According to the FBI, the ensuing investigation became, quote, one of the largest and most complex in the history of law enforcement, end quote. What's surprising is that this idea of mail-ordered death isn't really a new concept. While shocking, this is something that has happened throughout history, and in an almost Harry Potter moment, you know the one, the second attempt on Dumbledore's life where Horace Slughorn had the bottle of mead that he was supposed to give to Dumbledore, but unknown to him, the person that had given it to him had actually poisoned the mead, and this attempt was kind of throtted when Slughorn unfortunately gave that poison mead to Ronald Weasley on his 17th birthday and Ron nearly died had it not been for Harry's quick thinking. That similar situation happens with our victim today who was given a bottle of whiskey and inside that bottle there was a deadly poison that would claim her life. She would fall ill and eventually die. Her extravagant lifestyle left many wondering who wanted her dead and why they wanted her dead. But as extravagant as her lifestyle was, the trial surrounding her murder was just as extravagant. This is the case of the Rhode Island mail order murder. Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the cases will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, because, as we all know, conversation helps to keep the missing person in the public consciousness, helping keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. 
And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Phew. Allison. <laughs> that yeah. intro was lots of very <laughs> similar sounding um, words there for a second. It was but so yeah. funny because I could hear your excitement when you made the Harry Potter connection. <laughs> you just started talking faster because you love it. I love it. It's an obsession. And I struggled um, writing this intro and outro, which... You all sleuthhounds do not know this, but oftentimes we do struggle because we're just so brain dead by the time we get to that part. But I was, yeah, I was like, okay, well, we're talking about like things that happened in the mail and like you know people died from it. And then I was like, ooh, anthrax. And then as I was, I was typing it, I was like, ooh, Harry Potter. And then like I just was like, this is perfect, (laughs) perfect, perfect, perfect. Any day it can come back to Harry Potter, Wizard of Oz is a good day in Maggie's book. So yeah, (laughs) but we have almost made it through the week. Yes. It is Thursday. Happy Thursday. This has been closing week for my district. So, but sadly, Allison, we did not have any new written reviews this week, which was a little bit of a bummer, but because it's summer break, I'm going to let it slide. That's right. Because we have good things on the horizon. We have, we did get some five-star ratings though. Even though they weren't yeah, written so reviews. So definitely we'll take thank it. you. Yes, to those listeners. We have coming up on next Thursday. So not today, but next Thursday night, we will be live with Colts, Crimes, and Cabernet on Facebook. So if you're interested, make sure you tune in because We would love to see you there joining us Mm -hmm. and read your comments and talk to you guys. So that'll be super fun. Um, For the first time ever, right? Is that, is this our first ever live? Yeah. Yeah. So that's exciting. And I would love, like I said, to finally interact with you guys in real time instead Mm -hmm. of, you know, through messages or something like that. Uh, on Facebook. Plus, we've got some new Patreon mini episodes that Maggie got posted mm-hmm. just a couple of days ago. So that's super fun. Make sure if you have not yet checked out Patreon that you do. And Maggie and I were actually just talking about doing a giveaway contest for our Patreon members. Yep. Any who join by July 7th, because you know, seven is a lucky number. So it's seven, seven, July 7th. We are going to be giving away seven coffee and cases keychains. So if you are not a Patreon member, sign up. It's only $5 a month. And everybody wants a keychain. These are limited edition coffee and cases keychains. That's right. All right. So, Allison, for this week's show, um, I thought we could maybe mix it up a little bit and cover a case that's pretty different from 
the standard cases we covered, which actually, now that I think about it, I feel like we've done that a lot recently. We've had some ones that aren't very standard to us. Yeah. Yeah. But this one, I think maybe the oldest case we've covered, it's in the 1800s. Oh, I believe you're right. Yeah. And I think this is the only case we've done where the victim died via a piece of mail. Uh, yes, that would be correct also. <laughs> a piece of mail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I get bills and I feel like my life could be over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Today, Anthony brought the mail in and he was like, you have these three letters. I was like, yep. Owe them money. Owe them money. And owe them money. So just to add that to the stack. Yeah. All right, though. So for this week's case, we are going to be in Providence, Rhode Island. And oftentimes we talk about the city that we'll be discussing. And so Mm -hmm. the history buff in me could not resist Googling Providence because we're in such a good time of history. So I had to Google it. And um, Providence, Rhode Island was actually settled in June of 1636 by Puritans, specifically the Puritan theologian, Roger Williams. And we know that Rhode Island grew to be one of the original 13 colonies. Mm -hmm. As a minister in the Massachusetts Bay Colony, the founder, Williams, um, actually advocated for separation of church and state, which we would think would be kind of... Really? Yeah. For a Puritan theologian. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he actually also, as surprising, but bravo to him, condemned settlers from stealing. Like he thought it was very bad that settlers were stealing Native American lands. So, oh, that is so bravo. Um, he, because of his kind of, I guess, controversial for the time thinking was actually convicted of hearsay and was banished from the colony oh does that mean he was gossiping oh I you said heresy it was not hearsay oh no i did say hearsay i did I say hearsay like, but it definitely was he gossiping <laughs> oh my okay yes heresy so even yeah, more that scandalous was... <laughs> I, here i thought he was talking about neighbors he was talking about god yeah, yeah but um he was not from hearsay but from heresy um <laughs> banished from the colony but he and a couple of others settled in another part of Rhode island in 1636 on land that was given to them by a native american tribe but after they settled the plymouth colony was like you are still within the bounds of this colony and you gots to move So they moved down river and actually made a new settlement called Providence Plantations. Hmm. Has a pleasant sounding name at least. Yeah. And we have the (laughs) humble beginnings of Providence, Rhode Island. But unlike many other colonies at the time, Providence lacked a charter. So the settlers kind of organized themselves. They allotted tracks for each other, um, roughly like six acre tracks for their homesteads to go on. And those extended from Town Street, which 
is now South Main Street up to Hope Street. And oddly to me, the settlement actually lacked an official religion, which seems very non-pilgrim to me. Wow. But there was no church in that area until the 18th century, and that's when the very first church was established. But over the decades, this Providence Plantation grew into a self-sufficient agricultural and fishing settlement, and we start to see a shift in um, architecture as well. So we're moving from, you know, the log dwellings that we associate with colonies into Mm -hmm. more like gabled roofs and I don't want to say permanent dwellings because those cabins were permanent but in the late 18th and early 19th century the city became the center for Chinese trade which I thought was really interesting it became Mm. one of the leading ports for direct trade with China and so it had lots of U.S. consuls coming in and out um and With this newly acquired wealth, many members of the merchant class started constructing large mansions near um, the area of College Hill. So today's story, while not on College Hill, does involve um, a mansion for a a few bits. And we're going to talk about this mansion. It is a very much Maggie and Allison house. Mm Mm-hmm. This mansion was built on Broadway, so not on College Hill, but we're going to be talking today about the Barnaby Castle. So, the family that lived in this home, the Barnaby family, um, is obviously the center of today's case. And I looked up this home because if it has the word castle in it, I want to know what it looks like. Maggie wants to live there. According to the road tour. Yeah, I want to live there. And according to the road tour, um, it says, quote, this extravagant pile of was designed in two phases in 1875 and 1888 by renowned Providence architects, Stone, Carpenter, and Wilson. So, very bougie house we got going on here. So, the person that built the house, we're going to call him JB because his birth name is very... Jerothmal, perhaps? Yes. Very... I don't even know, like, the right word to... I just feel like very 1800 rich person Mm -hmm. name. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it's just very, like, a prompt. Like, he I like needs JB. to be fancy. Yeah. Yes. J.B. <laughs> yeah. Barnaby. Yes. And he was sort of the, um, almost like a king of Providence. He was very well, reno- like, renowned in this area. He had a massive department store that was downtown. He was known for racing horses. I think I actually read that he bred horse horses um he and his wife had two daughters he had a bunch of mistresses and oh, no. so just a very um extravagant lifestyle yeah but so he's like real or a retail mogul kind of but he's living yeah. the fast life both with his yes. horses and with women yeah and it's almost very great gatsby like the more mm-hmm. that i read about him and his family in an article in Small State Big History. We get even more detail about the house. Um, both 
more about when it was built and what it looked like on the inside. So to anyone who knows anything about architecture, which is not me at all, this um, Victorian mansion was actually kind of a mesh of architectural styles. It was a little bit gothic. It was a little bit of just all the styles that he liked, not necessarily sticking with the time that the house was built, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it was eclectic. Yeah, that's a good word. It was a four story house and it even had one of those towers, which I want a house that has a tower. Mm hmm. The gold. Like a turret? Like the yes. round? And there were like stained glass windows, there were curved windows. It was very ornate. Mm-hmm. And he obviously was, this house matched his personality because he was over the top and ornate as well. And according to Road Tour, the house, like I said, was built in 1875 um, on the street that was then being colonized by like the industrial and merchant class of the city because they're gaining wealth and they're not scared to show off the money that they have in these elaborate homes. Mm-hmm. That article goes on to say that the house was built for entertaining, which we're going to talk about some of those parties and you're going to see why it was very great Gadsby-ish. But he entertained politicians, he entertained aristocrats, um, and in those articles they interviewed, she's like the caretaker and event planner for the castle. Um, And her name is Caitlin. And so she went into lots of detail about that. So in this kind of castle in downtown Providence is J.B. Barnaby, his wife, and a couple of daughters. Is that what you said? Yeah. So, um... There's JB, his wife, Josephine. They have three daughters, I believe. But really, we're only going to talk about two of the daughters. Okay. So that same website said that the first floor, now you can tour the to the public. That started in like 2017. Um, but that this place had um, a 14-foot tall mirror with carved wood frame. And that's what you're going to see on the tour if you go. And now I want to go yeah, because I need to be there. But you can see that's pretty excessive. Like nobody needs a 14 foot tall mirror. Yeah, unless you're the Jolly Green Giant and you're trying to shake your wardrobe. Andre the Giant. Do you remember that wrestler? Yeah. Yeah. Even he wasn't that tall. You know, he was like seven foot. Right. So he only needs one half that size. That's right. The house also had elaborately carved sideboards all through the dining room. Um, The walls were hand-carved mahogany. The ceiling had touches of gold leaf in the ceiling. The floors were oak with cherry inlays, which melts my heart. This is this should be my house <laughs> there were seven fireplaces each oh, with a different yeah. style there was an astounding 118 windows 14 of which are stained glass i mean wow. come on now yeah i know except to clean all of this nope hiring somebody okay yeah but if you can afford that house you can afford someone to true. clean it 
Yes. Yeah. That's my dream. Yeah, same. Um, so I said that the house was meant for entertaining, and it was. So JB's oldest daughter, her name, I think, is so very 1800s, was Maybell. Aw, that's so sweet. Adorable. I do too. She got married in her the castle to her, John Henry Conrad in one of the grand public rooms is what one of the articles I read called it. Which I thought was very yeah. fancy. Yeah. A local newspaper of the time described the literal blankets of flowers that perfume the air hundreds of candles reflected in mirrors copious amounts of food copious amounts of drinks that were being consumed by thousands of guests while three different orchestras played at this wedding so honestly oh, these my people goodness. sound like i know they sound like they should be friends with the people in the bridgerton series on netflix like yeah. these people are living the life yeah, this is like if you went to a music festival and it's the entertainment at someone's wedding. Yes. Yeah. And the journal even appraised the value of some of the wedding gifts, one of which at the time was valued at $27,000. It was a diamond bracelet from the groom, which means this would uh, be like, yes. Yeah. So in wow. today's time would be like, a million dollar bracelet pretty much wow and her dad gave her a diamond and pearl necklace that valued at twenty five thousand dollars wow so and yes. we've said we're happy with raising cane's chicken tenders yeah maybe we need to up our expectation yeah yeah maybe we i need to twenty five thousand dollar necklace your sweetie just got you a big gift not that's true but. not twenty five thousand dollars but it is nice he did surprise me with a mac a macbook because they were That's on sale pretty. at costco and because i almost snapped my other computer in half when i was trying to edit those patreon episodes that i posted so the Maggie next day was he very grateful but one. then she also texted me hashtag credit card debt so yeah <laughs> yeah for real though <laughs> just keeping it real over here on coffee and cases right. <laughs> <laughs> jb even though this is very extravagant he did work hard to get his family to the point that they could enjoy these amazing things right. he was born in massachusetts he moved to providence as a young man and he became rich pretty quickly um his estate was valued at over a million dollars at the time that he died in 1889 which now would be way more money than a million dollars oh yeah and like i mentioned earlier he became rich because he established a store that was at that time the largest store in Rhode Island. So he worked hard to get his family where they were. He mm -hmm. also dabbled in state politics. He ran for city council a couple of times and he only lost by a very small margin, only 600 votes. He even tried to run for Congress the following year and mm -hmm. lost by an even smaller margin. So he's, you know, a well-liked and well-respected mm -hmm. guy. Mm -hmm. And he's, you know, entertaining all these politicians and businessmen and throwing right. parties and racing horses and, you know, maintaining a household and a mistress. So, you know, he's got like a I lot said, of 
the fast life Life in the fast lane to quote the eagles yeah but he would um die very suddenly in 1889 he had been dealing with bright's disease for years and i had no no clue what that was i've never heard of that so i googled it and apparently it is like not a term that we use now but essentially it is inflammation of the kidneys caused by toxins infection or an autoimmune condition and it isn't strictly a singular disease but rather a condition with a number of types and causes oh so i'm assuming he died from something regarding this disease that he had right so he's not really a part of today's case but he's important because you have to know how josephine the wife got to be where she is okay so jb dies in um, 1889 but today's case we're going to focus on his wife josephine and dr graves so let's meet both of them before jumping into the happenings surrounding these two individuals Allison and I find it hard to record together these days with everything going on in our lives. That's why we began looking for a recording platform that would allow us to record the same quality, crisp audio that we could have in person. Allison made it her mission to find the best platform for doing just that, and that's when she discovered Zencaster. Zencaster is what Maggie and I use each week to record our episodes, and it is extremely easy to use, even if you've never used a recording platform before. You don't have to download a thing. I go to the website, Zencaster.com, create the session for which you can record audio, video, or both, and then email Maggie the link. She clicks it, and that's it. We're ready to hit the record button and start. Even when we have guests who aren't tech-savvy, all they have to do as well is click the link to join the recording. Zencaster is an all-in-one podcast production suite that gives you studio-quality audio and video without needing to have any technological background knowledge. Once you've finished recording, the magic of Zencaster continues, as everything you've just created is securely backed up on the cloud. No more lost files. You get a transcript generated from your recording, and you have quality material to work with in post-production. I honestly could not brag about Zencaster enough. If you're thinking about creating your own podcast but worry because your co-host or someone you'd like to interview is in another city, worry no more. We want you to have the same easy experience as we do. So if you go to zen.ai slash coffeeandcasespod0 and enter promo code coffeeandcasespod0, all one word, you'll get 30% off your first three months. That's zen.ai slash coffeeandcasespod0. It's time to share. And easily record. Your story. So Dr. Graves actually served in the Civil War before studying medicine at Harvard. So I think very nice resume for Dr. Graves. Yes. Trustworthy. Yeah. By 1886, he had established himself as a doctor in Providence. He opened up his practice actually across the street from where J.B. and Josephine lived. And he soon became known for obviously serving more well-off clients because he's in the bougie part of town. Mm -hmm. And he specialized specifically in nervous disorders. 
which I think is kind of an old-fashioned term, but that's what everything I read said, that he specialized in nervous disorders. He was known to have maintained a mail-order business where he kept his clients in their medications, most of which he had patented via oh. the mail. So mm-hmm. again, he's a he's a business guy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, a lot of businesses, like, I, my grandma had a book that was like sales and sales, Sears and Roebuck, Mm -hmm. like what became then, you know, just what we call Sears. And it was like mail order. You could get everything from pencils to a car. I always loved their Christmas catalogs. Mm -hmm. So it sounds a lot like that, except he was doing it with medicine. Which now I feel like. How would you do that now? Because I feel it would almost be. Is it's that like legal? Amazon. Oh, with medicine. I guess it could be like, oh, yeah. Which I guess it would be like over the counter, though. Right. Like how I could order Tylenol from Amazon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that makes me feel better about this whole situation. He was okay. Amazon's predecessor. Yeah, exactly. So he is. Keeping his business with his clients in Rhode Island, and he's doing this mail order business, and now we enter JB's wife, Josephine. Josephine was born on March 6, 1836, to Joseph Reynolds and Rebecca Anthony. She was only 21 years old when she married JB, and honestly, from everything I read, she spent most of the marriage overwhelmed and intimidated by him, and honestly, I think I would have been the same. Mm -hmm. He seems like someone who would overwhelm me by the lifestyle that he lived and the social circle that he had. Like, I just don't think I could have kept up with that. Right. I'd be physically drained. Yeah, me too. And nervous all the time. Because I would just feel like I had a certain expectation that I had to live up to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Following the birth of their third child, Josephine started experiencing this partial paralysis in one arm and would sometimes stutter or have trouble finding her words. And it was then that she met Dr. Graves in 1887. Dr. Graves would prescribe her a series of tonics to treat her various ailments and illnesses. And when JB died... So she meets him in 1887. He died in 1889. Um, she finds out that he only left her tw- like a mere tiny, tiny sum in what she would have been used to in his will. And he justified this by saying that she was, quote, too flotty to handle a substantial sum of money. <gasps> Which, okay, one, the flotty thing I think is very true to how women were viewed in society at that time. Like, we're nervous and flotty and can't handle Mm -hmm. money and, you know, all of those stereotypical things. But to kind of play devil's advocate for him, he did leave the majority of his money to his kids. But she... So, basically... The gift he got his daughter was more on that one day than what he gave his wife for a year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And you're going to have even more to say about that here in just a second when you learn this okay. other detail. Oh. But Dr. Graves and Josephine had become, you know, good friends. And so she turns to him for advice. And he is like, honestly, you 
this settlement is unfair. You should sue your daughter, Mabel, and her husband, John, and your other daughter for a larger sum of money because they find out that JB left his mistress around $100,000. I mean, this is not like every year, but yes. Oh, no. That's what I said. Mm -hmm. No, sir. Oh, I'd be mad. That's a lot of money. Wow. So she actually follows his suggestion under that pretense of this generous amount that was given to his mistress. And she takes her two oldest daughters to court and they are horrified at this idea of having to publicly fight with their mother about their money. So they quickly settle and give her, I think it was like $105,000 just so that it's ended and they can all move on. So, which that makes me want to say that he was just giving her about $2,500 a year. Because if Mm -hmm. it's $25,000 a year, then you wouldn't settle for $105,000. Right. But um, after the settlement, Josephine is like, maybe I do need help with my affairs. And so she gives power of attorney of her estate to Dr. Graves, who at this point is still treating her. Okay. Okay. And so for his help, she's also paying him an annual stipend of $2,500 to manage her affairs. Uh, I'll handle them for you. So he would serve as her kind of go-between and make sure that the funds were going where they were supposed to be and she wasn't overspending and all that type of stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. So with her newfound freedom and now her newfound fortune, she's like, you know what I could do with all this free time I have? I could start to travel, which when you think about it was probably no small feat at that time like it would be today. It's not like she can go to the airport and get a flight to somewhere or Mm -hmm. rent a car. I'm assuming she's doing by train or possibly buggy at that time. Well, and as a single woman to travel, that's even a bigger feat. Also scandalous yes (laughs) and a lot of people would say that her doings on these trips were scandalous one particular trip she took to the adirondacks which i did Mm -hmm. not know was a place i just thought that was a chair but Oh, <laughs> learning so much today. But apparently on this particular trip, witnesses said that they saw a drunken Josephine carrying on with a married tour guide. Oh, oh and his no. name was Edward Bennett on like, this is super scandalous, but on the floor of like an ice <gasps> house. Some accounts said that they were actually lovers. <gasps> on the floor. Rolling around yeah. in the sawdust. Yeah. It's not like she's just flirting with him. She's like, uh-huh. Yeah. Mm. Yes. So some people said that they were lovers and that Josephine and Edward had actually discussed the idea of Josephine buying a cottage or cabin for him to renovate and paying him to renovate it. <laughs> yes. Again, where are these people? Right. Like, buy me a car and then pay me to put gas in it? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, yes, please. <laughs> um, it was also during this trip that Dr. Graves threatened to have her declared incompetent and put her in an asylum if she ended up buying this cottage for um, Edward. Because he's like, you know, I'm in charge of your affairs. If you can't handle yourself, you're going to be... Like, I'm going to declare you incompetent, and you're not going to be able to spend this money the way you want to. Mm. And she is not happy about this at all, because now she's like a free, independent woman. Mm -hmm. And she actually contacts her lawyer to have her will changed, because she had left a large chunk of money in her will to Graves. And so Mm. she contacts somebody, and she says, we need to change this will. Yeah, she's like, no, no, no. You want to tell me what to do? I'm changing that. Yeah, cutting you off, sir. That winter, Josephine went west to tour California health spas with her friends with her friend Florence. Again, Mm. just so bougie, but you go, Josephine and Florence. By April, they had come to Denver to stay with Florence's son Edward. And when they arrived there, there was a package for Josephine. And so she's like, oh. Maybe this is my medicine, right? Because she's getting these mail-ordered medicines from, yeah. So when she opens it and there's a bottle, she's like, yes, this must just be um, something that Dr. Graves has mailed me. And there's a note in this package that says, quote, wish you a happy new year. Please accept this fine old whiskey from your friends in the woods, end quote. Uh, From your friends in the woods. Hmm. That's weird. And I don't think that Providence, Rhode Island is the woods. But, yeah. So, she was like, you know, could this bottle be from maybe Edward? Could this be from Dr. Graves? Obviously, it's from somebody I know. I think of cabins in the woods. Right. So, she's like, you know, we've been talking about buying this cabin. So, could this be from Edward? Is this just medicine from Dr. Graves? And so, she's like, you know what? Both of them know I love whiskey. So, whoever it's from, thank you. So, she (laughs) she takes the bottle in. And um, her and Josephine actually, no, she's Josephine. Her and Florence actually drink the whiskey. And Florence says, while they're drinking, like, this whiskey is nasty. I'm not drinking anymore. Like, something is wrong with this. She actually Mm -hmm. got sick and immediately started throwing up. Okay. Well, if I'm Josephine, then I'm also stopping. Yeah. But she doesn't, though. She doesn't. She's like, you know what? This is fine. And continues to drink. Hmm. But Allison, within hours she was sick and i'm not talking sick like florence was sick she's throwing up i'm talking like sick sick and over the next five days she was in such agony because of how sick she was man and she Yes, and she actually passed away on um, April 19th, so just a few days after drinking that whiskey. I think they drank it on April 13th, mm-hmm. and so she passes away, and people are like, oh. what has happened to this woman? Right, yeah, because she's living her best life right now. Yeah, she's traveling. Mm-hmm. She's doing everything that most women 
dream that they could do. They do do an autopsy because they're like, you know, how could this woman just randomly get super sick and die? And through that autopsy, they realized that she died of arsenic poisoning. (gasps) And when they investigated further, they found out that the whiskey was actually laced with arsenic. Oh, so whoever sent her this whiskey, they had it out for her. Yes, and I feel like it's going to have to be somebody that's close to her. Because I think you have to have a very, like, specific palate to drink whiskey. Mm-hmm. And they would know that she liked it. Right. Yeah, because I don't think normally a woman in the 1800s would be like, I need to get her a gift. What should I get? Whiskey. No. Yeah. Normally <laughs> Alcohol. Yeah. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. So I actually was curious because I think we've talked about, maybe even recently, arsenic poisoning. Have we done that? Wasn't that in a case recently? I know that we've talked about, you know, arsenic poisoning before in Mm -hmm. some of our cases. But I was curious as to what one experiences when they're poisoned with this. Mm -hmm. So again, Google searches on our computer. I'm like... How many people a year die by tampered mail? Right. How many deaths? How do you die from arsenic poisoning? Right. What, what is side anthrax? Like, yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Like, look. So if the <laughs> government is looking at my computer. They're like, okay, she's a psycho. She's we need to watch somebody. what she's yeah. doing. <laughs> but according to several different websites that I read, one was Britannica, which, you know, is just a a good little go-to um the symptoms of arsenic poisoning can vary from person to person um and i didn't know this but some people have been known to develop a tolerance to certain doses that would kill other people because i guess certain professions you're exposed to it more than you are in others Mm But it said poisoning may result from a single large dose, so we could have acute poisoning, or from repeated small doses, so chronic poisoning. So that would be like if you're exposed to it at work every day. But symptoms of acute poisoning, which would have been what she had, Mm -hmm. is um, nausea and vomiting, burning of the mouth and throat, and severe abdominal pain. Which you get burning of the mouth and throat if you drink whiskey in the first place. Yeah. And I can see why they, everything I read described her as being in excruciating pain because that all sounds horrible. Yeah. But it actually went on to say that circulatory collapse can occur and can be followed by death within a few hours. So for her to live a few days, I think was a miracle. She's got some strong genes. Mm hmm. It says the outstanding effects are destruction of red blood cells and damage to the kidneys. With chronic exposure, the more common effects include gradual loss of strength, diarrhea, constipation. 
I mean, just a bunch of things to your nervous system. And it says that it's colorless, which I didn't know. Hmm. And that sometimes it can be tasteless, which I also didn't know. Hmm. Well. Oh, now I remember the case that we talked about that had the arsenic poisoning. It was with the bottles on Patreon. (gasps) It was the Patreon episode. Yes. Well, Mm -hmm. I don't want to ruin it. You'll have to sign in to Patreon to check it out. Um, There was a, an accusation of a mom poisoning her children, but there's Mm -hmm. a twist. But it, yeah, there is. It's good. You need to go listen. So yeah. after this, hop on over to Patreon. That's right. So someone obviously of the wealth and status of Josephine was not going to be murdered and forgotten about because she is, you know, a staple in society at that time. So her mm-hmm. son-in-law, John Conrad, the one that married the daughter, has both the will and the resources that he is going to pursue Josephine's killer. And he does. Oh. He was also a millionaire cattle rancher. And he was a mine owner of some mine in Montana. And he and Mabel, remember, were the ones that had the fancy wedding with the roses and the $25,000 bracelet and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But they hire... um, the Pinkerton Detective Agency to pursue this case. And oh. this detective agency quickly settled on Dr. Graves as the prime suspect. Well, yeah. Especially since she was paying him money. He was against her relationships. Didn't want her to go traveling around. It, that would make sense. Andy would know her well enough to give her whiskey. Yes, and honestly, a lot of people felt the same. It just made the most sense, and the case against him was pretty cut and dry, Allison. Like you said, there's lots of reasons that it could be him. Attorneys argued that Graves was after Josephine's money because, you know, he would know the types of funds that she had because he helped manage her estates, and he would know that he was part of her will because he helped manage all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. She and Graves were close friends at one point, but remember what she said after the little cabin cottage incident? Well, that she was going to take him out of the will, remember? Oh, yeah. So that, to me, is almost motive for him mm, because their like, relationship is now you. on the outs and she's taking mm. him out of her will. Yeah, like, I'll show you. I'll kill you before you have the chance to do that. Mm. Andy mailed her stuff all the time. Yes, that's what I was going to say. It wouldn't be out of the ordinary for him to mail her these concoctions that she likely would just accept without question because he's her doctor. Not looking good, Dr. Graves. um, Not looking good. mm -mm. And like I said, he is in her will and she has it written to leave him $50,000, which at that time Uh, was even bigger A bigger amount of money than that sounds in this context. So he would have pushed her, you know, I think he would have had reason to give her this poisoned Mm -hmm. whiskey. Mm -hmm. We know that he pushed her out of buying that property. He was angry because he's 
getting written out of the will. She's considered replacing him as the advisor in charge of her money. So mm. it was her son-in-law's point that because of all of these developments, Graves has sent the whiskey to kill Josephine. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. The Yeah, and the trial hinged on that and a couple other small points. They were able to determine that the whiskey had been mailed from Boston, which at the time, Dr. Graves was in Boston. Mm. And like I said, Dr. Graves knew that Josephine liked whiskey, which was an acquired thing. Uh, Yeah. Not for me. No. Ew. Mm -mm. (laughs) To each their own, but like... I mean, I have never drank horse pee, but... (laughs) I feel like, and I know whiskey and beer are not the same thing, but I feel like beer looks and smells like horse pee. So Mm -hmm. why would you want to drink that? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm not judging you if you do. I'm just saying, just give, if I'm going to drink something that is out of the norm for me, just give me a Mountain Dew. Right. I'm going to be bouncing off the walls for like four hours after that. Give me a chocolate milkshake. I don't need alcohol. I just Mm -hmm. need caffeine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Sugar. Yeah. yeah. But the most compelling was this testimony from the son-in-law and one of the detectives that, as crazy as it sounded, they claim that Graves actually admitted to mailing Josephine the whiskey. So this is an open and shut case then. If he did say that. Well, And the only problem is they can't really prove that because it was in a private meeting between the men. So he denies it when he's in front of, Mm. you know, the jury, when he's on the stand. So Graves' lawyers, they're like, this is not looking very good for us. So we're going to have to come up with something to kind of help our client over here. So they start painting Josephine in a not so flattering light. Which for women at the time and what she was doing probably was easy for them to do. Oh, yeah, because they're like, we have all these details about her lifestyle or the supposed lifestyle. We're saying that she's anything but ladylike. She's on all of these crazy vacations. She's caught naked with this man. She gets drunk with multiple men on all of her trips. She's no lady of 1800 society. Mm-hmm. Right. So all of these things, they're kind of pointing towards. It could be anybody. Right. She has made right. multiple enemies. Right. Through this new lifestyle that she has. It could have been. Yeah. The wife of the man she was tussling on the. In the sawdust with. Oh, Yeah. Mm-hmm. His, yeah, know? it could have been anybody. She, like, it could have been, yeah, his wife. It could have been maybe his, he could have even had a mistress. It could have been anybody. Mm-hmm. And if she's doing this with multiple men, that broadens it even more. Right. And that's the point that Dr. Graves and his people were trying to make. And he actually testified that he and his wife had been guests at this same I guess, vacation when she went to the Adirondacks. And Mm -hmm. he says that he actually saw them tussling through a crack in this like little warehouse, ice house place. And that the two were drunk and doing some type of transaction in his words. Oh, not of the financial Mm -hmm. kind. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not of the financial kind. <laughs> and he told the jury that he felt Josephine was being blackmailed and that the whiskey was sent to her as more as a threat and not with intentions to kill her, but that somebody, not him, sent this to her in a blackmail way, which is what we said, right? This could have been sent from anybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have more testimonies. During this trial, one came from, this name should sound familiar to you, Allison. Okay. Henry Tricky. Because I'm pretty positive, wasn't he, like, involved in the Lizzie Borden trial? He sure was. And he testified that Josephine was a vile woman and had vile lovers. And that she had a strained relationship with her husband, but that was, like, all on her, not really on her husband. He was sorry he ever met her Mm. and that she was not a woman that he would ever admit into his family circle. I mean, if he really felt that way, I guess that could explain why he didn't leave her any money. (laughs) Yeah. That's true. But Graves, through all of this, says, you know, despite all this rifts that we have, I have never mishandled her money. I've always been honest with her. Um, And he says that he thinks he's believing that he's being persecuted by John as almost kind of a threat to him. And... He says that John actually, like, paid the cost of all these witnesses to come to the trial and that it just was not a fair trial on his behalf Mm. because there's just too much political stuff going on here and that this was a, I don't even know the right word, but basically bullcrap from the beginning. Mm. But the trial does end in 1892 on January 1st, and after only an hour and a half of discussion, the jury did find Dr. Graves guilty of murder by mail. Mm. Mm-hmm. Graves did appeal the conviction, and the higher court threw it out because of errors by the trial judge. Um, they eventually got the first verdict dismissed on a technicality, and a new trial was promised while Graves remains in jail. So, you know, there's light at the end of his tunnel, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But on September 2nd, 1893, Graves was visited by his wife in the ho- in the jail. I almost said the hospital. He was not in the hospital. <laughs> and she came to see him almost every day. And it was recorded that when they parted, he said, Goodbye, darling. Promise you'll come back early tomorrow morning. So... He's making plans to see her tomorrow. Uh-huh. At 9 o'clock the next day, he didn't come for breakfast. So the guard went to check his cell. And Dr. Graves was dead. Oh. He left several letters, one of which was to the coroner. And it said, Please do not hold an autopsy upon my remains. The cause of death may be rendered as follows. Died from persecution, worn out, exhausted. What? Which obviously was not the cause of death because you don't feel that one coming. Right. So he, up until the end, maintained his innocence in several of those letters. He maintained his innocence. He blamed Mr. Conrad and the corrupt Western justice system for basically putting him into his grave. So he commits suicide. 
And in the aftermath of his trial, his widow actually gained that money that Josephine had left (gasps) in the will. Could she have sent the whiskey? I know. That's what I was thinking. Like, obviously, people are going to say that it's Graves because that's just the easy thing to say. But I wonder how their relationship was. Right. Could it have been her? Because I'm always thinking, you know, of the what ifs. Obviously, again, he does seem logical, but so does her lover that she wanted to buy the cabin for because he could have felt jilted, you know, and Mm -hmm. he's upset because she was going to buy that, but then so easily let someone convince her not to, Mm -hmm. you know, so maybe he's upset and he was thinking, well, she told me. She was going to change her will to take Dr. Graves out of it because she's mad at him. Maybe she put me in it, you know? And so it could have been him and he's just hoping to benefit. Or it could have been Dr. Graves' wife because she could have been like, you know, they're getting a little close. Mm-hmm. And what? why yeah. is he giving her, you know, love advice for? That's not and if part of how this works. Josephine had this like reputation as being mm-hmm. scandalous then she could be like you're not getting my man back up right drink some whiskey and may- yeah and maybe she didn't mean to kill him right or kill her she just meant to scare her mm-hmm. because graves died before we could have a retrial we are left with an unsolved case there are many who believe that graves was responsible for the death of josephine but there's enough speculation to keep people wondering if it could have been someone else sadly sleuth hounds i do think too much time has passed for us to really know what happened to josephine and who was behind the rhode island mail order murder all we're left with are questions and a lingering distrust of the united states postal system Again, please like and join our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Twitter at Cases Coffee, on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast, or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll We'll see see you you next week. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.